0: Hello and welcome to Dumpy Little Unicorn. Today I am joined by Danny Wett. So, Danny, welcome.
1: Hello, thank you very much.
0: So, you're the author of the Echo Trilogy and the outstanding Children of Artifice. I am, yes. If someone is new to you as a, as a writer, uh, where would you recommend that they start?
1: Um... If you like fairy tales that are a bit gay and a bit metallurgical and a bit fantastical, a bit romantic, um, then start with Children of Artifice. That's the standalone. If you want to tackle something bigger, Echo is a sort of collision of cyberpunk and D&D and it swears far too much. So be prepared for some strong language.
0: <laughs> Excellent. So you also write for the Black Library. What I do, yes. What's it like playing in that kind of sandbox?
1: I've been a gamer for years, a gamer and a war gamer for years. And it's one of those things that popped up almost by coincidence, but it's so much fun. You know, it's one of those things that my younger self would see me doing now and sort of shake her head in disbelief. But yeah, it is, you can take all of the silly things that you did in your youth and make books out of it. And it's just great. Yeah, it's brilliant, brilliant fun. It's good.
0: Excellent. Taking a small diversion. So you gamer so does that mean you sort of like role play as well as playing the war games with the little models
1: I haven't played war games in years I had to brush up my mythology when I started sort of writing for the Black Library I had to go back and brush up quite severely but yes I've been a, a gamer um cyberpunk mostly Dungeons and Dragons as everybody has done, um, quite a lot of Vampire the Masquerade when we were younger. We did all sorts of things. We wrote our oh, own. Fantastic. And we did a lot of gaming. Yeah. you know, sort of chucking all the characters in together just to see what would happen, you know, vampire characters and cyberpunk characters and, you know, throwing them all into a oh, thing. That sounds
0: amazing. And it also just that it gives the opportunity to sort of, I don't know, some, some great sort of like alchemy for when you're uh, writing uh, your own... Oh, definitely. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, Children of Artifice, which I read and I absolutely adored, featured oh, thank <laughs> elements.
1: thank you. It's the thing I'm proudest of, I think. It was difficult to get yeah. right, but it is the thing I'm proudest of. Oh,
0: oh good. I'm, it sort of hit me really hard. But it also featured elements that feel really unusual, and not least the sort of, like, metallurgical working. It's sort of, like, hybrids with magic, and it's so beautifully designed. How did you come up with that?
1: The story is very, very old, rather bizarrely. I first wrote it, I mean, the characters were, Proteus has always been Mm -hmm. there. Kath was originally a Julian. And I first wrote it as a short story called Till Death Do Us Part in the very early 1990s. And it was set in the then future London in 2006. It was rewritten as a novella in the late 90s, rewritten again as a novel in 2011, which was supposed to be my groundbreaker novel, you know, the one that got published to make the way for my opus, if you like, only the opus got published first. (laughs) And when I finished Echo, um, I always knew I was going to go back to it, but I wanted to do something different. There'd been so many wonderful, beautiful, paranormal London stories, you know, from Felix Castor, um, Mike Carey, China Mieville, Tom Pollock, all of these beautiful, beautiful things. And I found myself almost intimidated because my little book didn't quite match up to all of that. So I wanted to do something different with it. Because it was originally set in London, I left it set in the single city. That's the reason why it's in the crater, and I never made an attempt to go yeah. outside. But I wanted to stay with the magic. So it became all about metallurgy and chemistry and, you know, sort of volcanic rock. And it became actually really interesting. I got really into it. It was quite fun. Excellent.
0: Um, and, uh, like, as I, as I said, it it's been... I think one of my favourite books of this year just because it it is it's so emotional and it's so touching and you honestly really side with the characters and you sort of feel their hurt and their pain and their struggles. And
1: oh
0: yeah. uh, is there going to be a sequel?
1: Oh, there yes. is. There <laughs> is. The characters have been with me for such a long time. And you know, the the un, the unholy trinity that is Cath, Proteus, and Molly. I'm like 25 years old. You know, they've been with me since I was so much younger. It was said on QI on a um, quite interesting tweet the other day that actors, when they are in their role, their brain pathways change. Right. And I think that that's, well, it's true of Proteus, ironically, but it's also true of authors, that when you're really, really into your character, when you can hear them in your head, when they're a separate entity in their own right, they become so real. Yeah. And those three characters particularly have been so real to me for such a long time. Yeah. Which is perhaps why the emotional intensity between the three of them is so strong and um, why, why Cath's relationship and Proteus' relationship with their families are so strong. But yeah, writing the sequel is so difficult because I'm rolling it forwards by such a, a big period right, of time. Okay. Um, and trying to get my head around Cath at 50 has been quite an uphill struggle and I've started it twice and i know what the story is and i know where it goes and i've got it all mapped out and i've done my spreadsheets and my stickies and everything else but i can't do it justice somehow and you say the emotional intensity of the book is so yeah. strong that trying to recreate that is quite daunting i've got 30 40k into it twice and then gone like nope. okay and just been oh wow it. one <laughs> day yeah i have to be in the right space mm-hmm.
0: you know that's fascinating insight into sort of like you know getting so deep into something and then going no that isn't right that just i think i'd be terrified if i i mean i I don't write novels but i would be terrified getting to that point and then just going no and throwing it all away so i mean kudos to sort of like keep plugging at it that's amazing
1: well it won't leave me alone it keeps picking in the back (laughs) of my head you
0: know victoria schwab has i think she's been working on a novel the Adi which he's lived with for like 10 years and I think it's that's a that's yeah. similar sort of thing where it yeah. it will come right in the end I think.
1: I think so I think I have to be in the right space to write it when I was right I was writing artifice over um selling my house and also the illness and death of my mother which I think that kind of emotional intensity background also lent itself to sure. the story. Um, particularly with Kath's relationship with his parents and with his father. I think there was a lot of that in there. I didn't even realise until afterwards. Yeah. So, yeah, re-finding that is going to be hard. But one day, it's not going to leave me alone. One day, one day.
0: Have you got a reading for us today?
1: I have, yes. Bear with me a second. I thought I'd read from the very start of the book rather than try and explain the plot, which, yeah, so this is from chapter one. And this takes our hero, our beautiful prince in his high tower, having had a strop with his father and stormed out. And he's gone down to the wharf side, where he's not supposed to be, basically, because he's high born and the wharf is full of dodgy characters. And he's just wandering about, looking for something to do with his time. Slowly, the red sky darkened to lavender and the lamps gleamed warmly in the dusk. The blue moon rose a sliver like a promise. The dockers and loaders, their shifts over, put flame to swaying strings of lanterns and settled in groups to drink and brag. Clouds of midges rose amongst them, occasionally flashing to incendiary doom. Calf drifted to a pause, watching. And as the people eddied and settled, a grinning woman upended a heavy help woven basket and gestured for him to sit. Around her, her circle was all talk and exhaled smoke, the reed sweet and euphoric. Cheap glass bottles were passed from hand to hand. Some of the workers bore spirits or cargo from their day. They threw it all down with noise and boasting. Calf had coin, silver many-edged repans bearing the nine-pillared mark of City Hall, and he threw a handful onto the planking between his feet. The woman next to him grinned. She had wrought metal dice, each four-sided and rusted with age. She blew on them, rattled them, threw them into the centre of the circle. The dice bore glyphs, traditional symbols of stone and metal, and out here only their most basic principles were remembered. But his education knew them better, and as the woman picked them up and threw them again, he dared to enter the clamour of bets. Gestures surrounded him, sharp and demanding. He liked the energy of it. Stuff decorum, and stuff all the bloody rules. The dice bore symbols that made simple equations, alloys, and reactions. The gamblers around him taunted and swore. He laughed with them, getting caught up in their anticipation. The woman passed him her bottle. He swigged, coughed, grimaced, passed it back. The surrounding hilarity lifted him like a boy. The next man along rattled the dice, daring. As the bets were placed, he blew on them and threw them down. The equations were cumulative. The patterns got harder and more unlikely with each throw made. But Caff's pulse was racing. The smoke and the booze were making him grin like a knife. He shed his jacket, his skin tingling with sweat. As the dice passed sunward round the circle, he bet more and harder vying now against the older and wilier members of the group the gap-toothed men and women who'd been down here years and who'd learned this game by long experience he won and won again the combinations grew more intricate he still won voices about him caught with tension cautious he made a choice to lose a round he carried a short blade but it was a poor tool for fencing and slow wits were a fool's game as the rolls came back around toward him, though, he was thrilling with expectation. He was up on his feet and cheering with the others, waiting for the one that it... he was being watched. The gaze wasn't threatening. It was curious, appreciative. The shadows were deeper now, and through the lamp-lit curls of soft smoke, he saw a young man at the outer edge of the circle, watching him with a faint half-smile. He was a typical dock worker, dark and lean and sinew-strong, his garments plain, his arms and shoulders bare. His skin was inked from wrist to neckline, all dragons and coiling, and a chain around his throat carried a simple veyward, a prayer for the mercy of the water. Leaning back on one elbow, he caught Calf looking, and his smile deepened. He raised his bottle in greeting. Calf caught his breath. He stared for a moment, then dropped his gaze, his pulse roaring in his ears. He was suddenly, acutely aware of how much he must stand out, all spoiled, rich boy. But hells, he didn't care. No one judged him here. No one told him who he had to be, what he had to do. His awareness of the man sharpened to almost painful, but it was good. He liked it. Agitated, he couldn't sit down. He gave up his caution and won the next round with a rush of pure energy, an exultation that carried him forwards into recklessness. Stuff going home, stuff every promise he'd made, all of it. Tonight he was on a roll and he was damn well going to enjoy himself. The man continued to watch, still smiling. Next to Caff, the woman who'd invited him to sit, got up. She was skint, no wealth remaining, several of the others too. As the circle began to shift and change, Caff caught the man's gaze. With a certain tight anticipation, he gestured to the basket beside him. The man took a swig from the bottle and came to sit. He said, you play very well. His voice was soft and dark and had the slight rough accent of the wharf side. Close up, Cath could see that he was slightly older than his wire-lean frame suggested and that his eyes were blue, brilliant blue, striking, lightning blue. They dominated his face, marking him apart from the dock workers around him, and they caught at Cath like an angler's lights. Thank you. He realised he was staring, shook himself. It's uh, not really that difficult. As the rolls get more numerous, the possibilities of a successful combination actually go down, not up. You have to pick the most likely path. Then, realising he sounded ridiculous, he apologised. That wasn't how he'd meant that to come out. Hells, why was he suddenly nervous? Aden, the man said by way of greeting. He studied Caff thoughtfully, still with that curious, intrigued smile. You're a scholar. His voice hinted at a question, one that wondered what the hell's Caff was doing here. Caff shrugged and picked up the dice. He folded them in long fingers. Their cold metal bit his skin. Not any more. Aden raised an eyebrow at him, still smiling. Kath blew on the dice and threw them into the circle. As the sun set completely, the gambling fragmented and finally broke up. Far out across the gleaming water, the heights of the surrounding crater stood huge against the starlit sky, a tattered giant whose ancient hands cupped the city within. The evening was a blur after that. A stumble through the darkened market, urgent kissing hands sliding down his back, body pressed hard against his thigh like a guarantee, ready laughter, rich humour, aden's touch kicked calf's pulse into clamouring, a wanton chain reaction that left him greedy and craving, oh hell's, heat and promise exchanged had there been another bottle, laughter coming easily, figures in the gloom, and harder drugs than reed, they'd spun into a whirl of loud, alcoholic humour and trembling, superheated anticipation then a fall through a corridor to a rickety wooden door, a tumble onto a bed that had seen better days, and no willingness to wait, just to reach for skin and sweat and release, and all of it in the half-light of the closest room they could find.
0: Wow. <laughs> oh, that, it, the rhythm of that is just gorgeous. Harried away. Thank you. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, everybody should go and read Children of Artifice because it's one of my favourite books. No, and I know you. you're working Not on the too. sequel. Are you working on anything else at the moment?
1: I've got a sort of interim project that I, I sort of click away at every now and again, but mostly I am sisters of battle. I've got about four or five bits of writing on okay. the go. You know, they Black Library are lovely. They throw as much work at me as, much work at me as I can possibly oh, handle. Fantastic.
0: For those who don't know, the Black Library is
1: the Black Library publishes publishes that too. <laughs> Warhammer 40k right. fiction, you know, so all of, all of the good stuff that the and the mythology that surrounds the tabletop games, the Horus Heresy and onwards is all published by the Black Library. Uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Basically, you get to rampage about and beat up orcs or tyrannids or whatever it happens Brilliant. to be. I've got another, one short story just out, another one coming out quite shortly, and then there'll be more work into oh, next year.
0: So this is the part of the podcast where I ask the questions that I ask everybody. And we start off yeah. with, what have you been reading?
1: What have I been reading? I've just finished Robert, C. Robert Cargill's Sea of Rust, which I thoroughly enjoyed. I've just started on Lou Morgan's Blood and Feathers, which I haven't got very far into yet, but I enjoyed it very, very much. I read a lot of black library yeah. fiction, obviously, because I sort of have to, and also because it's a lot of fun. So both Inferno anthologies, the Crusade anthology, the Mechanicus anthology. Yeah, I've been wading through a lot of black library right, okay. stuff. I get sent a lot of groups, obviously, in my yeah. office job, and I've got a huge... As ever, a huge TV art pile <laughs> my desk.
0: Oh, I know that feeling. What have you seen recently?
1: What have I seen recently? I've been showing my son, who is now 15, we've been watching Buffy and obviously a full folding angel in with it. Now, obviously, Buffy is one of those things that we all grew up with. But showing it to my son has been absolutely magical because he was really s- sceptical about yeah. it at first. And he just got so into it. So I've been watching it again through yes. his eyes. Oh, that must be lovely. Which has been lovely. It's been like rediscovering it. And he's really, really enjoyed it. He sat there and watched the musical episode. And when they all broke into song, he was like, oh, God, this is going to be rubbish. <laughs> and by the end, when Spuff and Spike Spuffy and Spike yeah. that too, do their snog at the end, he was like punching the air going, yes! <laughs> Excellent. So it's really bitten him, which is brilliant. And then we're going to go on to Firefly because yeah. obviously we have to watch yeah. that next. And then we've got all this Dark Crystal, which has just come out. Oh. Um, <laughs> I know. I saw the um, exhibition a couple of days ago. It was absolutely beautiful. I went as well. I, just, I fell in love with the film when I was 15, 16, and it was so lovely to see it all. It's amazing. It
0: was. I, I also managed to get tickets to go to the um, screening, uh, or rather my partner got us tickets oh. to go to the screening. And it's so beautiful. <laughs> I can't uh, – yeah, oh, I'm. Gosh. it was just – it just looks so incredible. And oh, yeah, I'm I we I think we're gonna be binging that one.
1: <laughs> oh definitely. Yeah, what else have I got? Um Attack on Titan season three, the first half right. of that has just come out on DVD. I've been watching that. It's one of the the only thing that I will now buy on DVD. And I do, I just sit and chain gun it episode after episode. I can't take my eyes off Fantastic. it's riveting. So good. And She ra yes. as well. <laughs> which is which is fantastic fun. And Disenchantment, they just announced a new one of those which is even better. There's loads to watch. A, oh, sorry, I missed that one. What was that again? Yeah, Disenchantment the oh, macronge. Yes. yes. We thoroughly enjoyed the first series of that. That was great.
0: Cool. So, the next thing I ask is what have you heard?
1: The new Tool album which is out today. Yeah. A lot of my music is older music, so I listen to a, a lot of 80s synth pop, sorry. The <laughs> I listen to a lot of the, <laughs> I still listen to a lot of, you know, sort of Around about two thousand trip hop, a lot of yeah. head and stuff like that. Yeah, as a as lot of old seventies rock. I think I'm yeah a, a lot stuff a lot of stuff for my roots. I still listen to a bit of dance, you know, you're sort of fat yeah. boy slim and stuff, but not much. Okay.
0: Do you use music at all when you're writing, or do you are you one of these people? No, I because I
1: write aloud. I think that's possibly why the cadence of the language comes across particularly in artifice as strongly yeah. as it does. I, I I write aloud. I drive my son up the wall. He keeps slamming the bathroom door, living room door, rather than going sharp. Okay. But yes, you have to, because it makes the language work. You have to, it's almost poetic. If you constantly read it back to yourself, you can hear if the characters are sounding wrong. You can hear if the descriptions are sounding wrong. Sometimes I might have an instrumental soundtrack on, but not often. When I'm writing Sisters of Battle, I do occasionally play proper old school choral music, you know, Vivaldi and Verdi, Foray's Requiem, Mozart, just to get myself in the mood. But when I'm actually writing, no, I do it in silence. OK,
0: that, that's interesting because a lot of people I've been speaking to recently, they, sort of, they all tend towards having instrumentals on while they're, while they're writing. So it's quite interesting to see somebody coming from the opposite perspective. And because it's you and I know that you're a gamer, what have you recently been playing?
1: I've just started playing d d again after a very, yeah. very long break. Um, I found a local group. And we just started playing basic low-level D&D from a module. It's set in Forgotten Realms, in Faerun, in Cormier. And it's fantastic fun. It's going back to fantastic. our roots, just you know, helmets, wooden swords, yeah. twin lids, you know. I think my character's just got to fourth level, so he's just actually starting to get a little bit tough. We've just finished our first yeah. our first dungeon and we're looking for what to do next, but it's been so nice. just to... When we were in our 20s, our gaming got quite intense, possibly too much so, um, because we had the time and the space and the energy to be able to do it. Obviously, we're all that much older now. And we have jobs and responsibilities and things. But it's so nice to just put it all down for an afternoon.
0: Cool. So my, my final question, I do have some questions from Twitter to come as well. But my final question is, what do you think needs more love?
1: What do I think needs more love? Yes. People, the world, everything. I think people need more love for themselves, more love for each other, more love for their environment, you know. More love for the oh my god political system. Let's not go there. No, <laughs> more love for the country. And okay. I mean, obviously.
0: yeah, this this is the way that it's it's kind of gone. That so far everybody I've asked, they've gone. You know, we all need more love. But then also, if you've got anybody that you'd like to recommend, anything that you think pop culture wise is underserved, this is your chance as well.
1: Oh God, you've you've caught me on the hop with that one. What do I think? Uh, this, this is where I should have something prepared and I can't think of anything and then we'll stop the podcast and in five minutes' time I'll go, oh, bollocks, I should have recommended. <laughs> yeah, I can't, you've, you've caught me on okay. half. I don't know. My brain's gone completely blank because it inevitably does with these questions.
0: Okay, no worries. I have a couple of questions from Twitter. I think it's Alve Decimus asks notebook where do you store your ideas
1: oh i must have half a dozen notebooks stashed in various places around the house plus i've got evernote and dragon dictation on my phone yeah plus i've got word documents here and there when i actually sit down and go right i've got to write the thing i have to spend an hour (laughs) finding all the various bits you know post-it notes and skitties and notebooks and actually puzzling it all together but perhaps that's no bad thing because it makes me focus my thoughts oh that's well, that's good and usually if i've written something down in more than one place that means it's probably a good idea and it needs to stay and i have to fold everything in and make it all work
0: Flickbaums asks uh, when do we get more sister viola <laughs>
1: Oh, Sister Viola. One of the lovely things about writing Sisters of Battle is I can indulge myself in basically writing aliens. (laughs) (laughs) I've got to be quite careful with the badinage because after all, they are sisters and not marines. But um, Sister Viola is my Vasquez you know she's got the big heavy weapon she is the squad's ass kicker and she's one of my favorites and she's been a real favorite with the readers as well which has been fantastic but yes, she's coming back soon (laughs) soon (laughs) soon she will be back and she will be kicking some bad guy butt
0: brilliant okay danny thank you so much for your time today it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and And oh thank you (laughs)